0: and every moment of our lives is your faithfulness. Uh, we thank you that you keep your promises. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning to fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us simple childlike faith just to believe what you say is true and what you say you will do. Um, Lord, we spent all last year in the book of Romans talking about how the righteous live by faith so lord please help us today with no matter what faces us or what assails us lord that we would just simply trust you Uh, we just look to you right now heavenly father lord i do want to pray for shelly's sister jen and i ask in jesus name by the blood of jesus christ that you would let her know how much you love her i pray that you would lay your hand upon her that your will would be done I pray also, Father, that you would let her know how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and I pray that your name would be seen as holy and mighty in her life and in the life of the family. Thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Good morning. God's good, amen. Got your Bibles, Grab them. Uh, actually go to two places this morning. I'm going to read from two different passages, both in the book of Matthew. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week, um, and I'm going to read from the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 15. And if you got that place found, you can put your finger there and then go over to Matthew chapter 18. Verses 21 through 35, and I will read these before we say much else, and then we will, we will get into it. Um, if anybody's still looking for a seat, there are seats up front still. It's okay. I don't bite. Nobody else bites. You can come on up. It's safe, I promise you. Balcony people, you know I say this every year. Where are my balcony people at? Raise your hands, balcony people. Hey, we're going to get through it, okay? We're going to get through it. We're going to survive. Got to say that every year. your trespasses. And then jump with me over to Matthew chapter 18. I'll start in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants." When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments be made, And payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay all the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray one more time. Father, please open the eyes of our heart now that we might see wonderful things from your word. We commit this time to you. Please give us clear minds, pure hearts, fill us with your spirit that you might have your way this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So as most of you know, we're in a series here at the beginning of 2024 on discipleship. Uh, we started off talking about how disciples learn, and that's literally what the word disciple means. Last week we talked about how disciples pray, and this week we're going to talk about how disciples forgive. Disciples forgive. Now, this is something that may be a question that some of you have had. We're just doing a little four-week series on discipleship, and so it's not by any stretch an exhaustive uh, tree ties, if you will, on what discipleship is. Um, but we are hitting some primary things. And I think maybe for some people, in just a four-week series, why is forgiveness one of the four things that we're going to talk about in regards to the life of a disciple? Because, I mean, there's other things you could put in there, right? I mean, why, why not say disciples serve? Or why not spend a week on disciples love? Or why not a week on disciples give and, and talk about generosity? And while there's obviously more that we could talk about in regards to discipleship, I want to say that, uh, and obviously, you know, I'm going to argue that, that that this is true, is that above all those things, forgiveness, forgiveness is of the utmost importance. It's not that those things aren't important, but they're of the utmost importance. And part of that is going to unfold, and hopefully I'll be able to prove that to you from the Word of God this morning. As we talk about it, but personally for me, I, in some ways, I don't want to overhype this or be overly dramatic, but I've almost been waiting about nine to ten months to preach this message. Um, Over the last year, the Lord, this is one of the things that in my own life, the Lord has really been teaching me about. Um, We talked week one, and when we talked about how disciples learn, is that discipleship isn't just something that happens on Sunday mornings or just in a classroom or just when you're doing small church or just at a men's Bible study or women's Bible study or just when you're having your quiet time. But that because we are disciples, all of life is discipleship. And Jesus is always teaching us. And one of the things that the Lord has been teaching me about this past year through situations in my own life, but also through um, many, many situations— in the lives of people in the church, it's been about forgiveness. Now hear me, this past year is not the first time that I've ever talked with people about forgiveness. However, um, it has been noticeable, let's just put it that way, the number of conversations that I've had in the past year about the nature of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but when the Lord wants to get my attention in my life, I can be pretty dense at times. And so he really has to hammer away at it and not just set before me, you know, one situation or two situations, but set before me many situations in the past year teaching me uh, about forgiveness. And really just pressing some things into my, into my heart that I hope to be able to address this morning. Because here's the thing, I don't, it's not always, here's what I found, it's not always that we don't want to forgive. I think as Christians and disciples, we know that we should forgive, but the reality is is that we don't know how to forgive because we don't fully understand what it is. That's what I found in the last year in talking with a lot of people, is that we don't really know how to do it because we don't fully know what it is. It's a word that we hear a lot, if we've just kind of grown up and spent any amount of time in and around the church and we know that God forgives us of our sins and so we throw the word around a lot, but do we honestly understand uh, what it is? Um, I think many of us, and again, I don't think it's, it's sinister, I don't think that we've tried to do this, but the way that we live is somewhat close to um, something that D.L. Moody once said, He said that many people have the type of forgiveness where they bury the hatchet with the handle still sticking out of the ground so that they can grab it at a minute's notice, or at a moment's notice, sorry. And that seems to be where many of us live. We're trying to bury it, we're trying to truly put it away but we're just not fully sure how. And so in many ways this morning, what I hope to do is just from the word of God, just kind of have a Bible study. In a lot of ways it might feel a little bit more like a Bible study than a sermon, but no matter how you want to categorize what we're going to talk about this morning, um, I just want to show us what the word of God says about this. And so I just want to ask three simple questions. I want to ask this, what is it? What is it? Why does it matter? And how do we do it? What is it? Why does it matter? And how do we do we do it? The first one, what is it? Well, just a textbook definition. The word that is most usually used um, or most commonly used in the New Testament is this Greek word, aphiomai. aphiomai. And it, it, it has quite a robust kind of definition, but it's all kind of saying the same thing. It means to send away, to give up, to keep no longer, to abandon, to leave, to walk away from, or most commonly, it just simply means to let go. And it's really just this very simple idea is you just drop it. That's it. That's what forgiveness means. Now, what are you forgiving? Or what are you letting go of, I should say? It's usually re- um, related also to this other Greek word, ophilema, ophilema, ophilema And it, it's the word that we read there um, in both of those passages, but if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's the word for debt. Um, Jesus says that when we pray, we're to pray, God, forgive us our debts, ophilema. That we as we also have forgiven our debtors, and so what we're what we're giving up, or what is just simply we're just letting go of a debt that is owed to us, and of course this is what Christ did for us, and so just in the most general sense, it just means to simply drop it to let go. Um, But secondly, along with that, in answering the question, what is it? um, It also can only occur, and this is important. It can only occur when true wrong has been done. I want us to get this. It can only occur, occur when true wrong has been done. So many people, when we begin to talk about forgiveness, the wall that begins to come up in our hearts is that we think that we're somehow minimizing what has been done to us. And nothing could be further from the truth. What we're actually doing is acknowledging that what was done was very wrong, and it was unjust, and it was not right, and it falls into the category of, of sin. But what we're then saying is we're choosing to let go of getting even with the person for the wrong that has been done to us. So again, it, technically speaking, it's this idea of just simply letting go. But if you even just look at the English word forgiveness, give, the word give is in it. What are you giving? You're giving up your right to bring consequence into that person's life. You're giving up your right to be judge, jury, Executioner John Piper says it this way He says, Forgiveness assumes grace. If I am injured by you, grace lets it go. I don't sue you, I forgive you. Grace gives what someone doesn't deserve. That's why forgiveness has the word give in it. Forgiveness is not getting even, it is giving away the right to get even. Are you with me? This is what it is. This is what you're letting go of and what the word literally means. Number three. In just defining what it is, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two. Okay? On a on a horizontal human-to-human relationship, reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness is your responsibility, as we're going to see from the Word of God, and if you should have caught it even just in reading it, but forgiveness is every disciple's responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't get a choice. Jesus, as your Lord, Master, Savior, King, he commands you to forgive. You don't get a choice. But reconciliation between another human being that has wronged you or wronged us takes two, okay? Um, now, in speaking of reconciliation with God, God has never wronged us, amen? Amen? And sometimes, this is just a little bit of a sidebar, I don't want get, to get, get off on this, but sometimes people will use this language of needing to forgive God. Dear, dear friend, I want if I can, just... In, in love, press on that. That's not in the Bible. God has wronged nobody. He knows he owes no one anything. Okay? Now, you might have to maybe me, what you're trying to communicate is that you need to wrestle through some of the difficulties that he's allowed to come into your life and you need to trust him, but he has never wronged you. Okay? So, we don't need to forgive God. So, in terms of when God forgives us, we instantly have reconciliation because God is willing to meet us there. And he has in no way harmed us. It's all been on our part. But, but forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. And if we can just you know, jump into kind of the, the deep emotional end very quickly here at the beginning, is when you think about cases of abuse, of any sort of nature that have taken place, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to forgive that person, to let go of getting even, to let go of vengeance and leave it in the hands of God. But in terms of reconciliation, it depends if the other person is, is truly repentant and also wants to walk in a godly way and meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so reconciliation does not necessarily depend on you. So if someone has abused you, in no way does the Bible teach that you need to become best friends with them. But it does command that you need to forgive them. You are not allowed, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to hang on to an attitude of the heart that seeks vengeance for them. That's what you are letting go of. Thirdly, oh, I'm sorry, fourthly, get my numbers right here this morning. Fourth, just in talking about what forgiveness is, and this is important to understand, forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one who has been wronged. Forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one who has been wronged. Let's start just simply with our relationship with God. In our sin against him, the reason reason we need forgiven is because we were created in his image and we have marred the glory of God with our rebellion against him. And that glory is what Jesus Christ came to restore by showing God's infinite worth, by paying for our sin with the cost of his precious blood. Now, I want to kind of stay in the text that, we were, that, we, that I read from this morning in regards to some of these practical things and answering these questions about forgiveness. But just very quickly, um, and I think many of you will be familiar with this, but Hebrews 9.22, for example, says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins that our sin is of such a nature that every one of us is conceived in sin, we are sinners by both nature and choice, and we come into the world with the wrath of God against us. And that sin can only be paid for by the precious blood of Christ. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he does not use the word forgiveness, but he uses the word, uses the word ransomed. Not, it, the word ransom is not synonymous with forgiveness, but they definitely overlap in some ways. And Peter says this, he says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, is that we have offended an Almighty holy God. Jesus came to pay for our sin by, by dying in our place and thus restoring the glory of God so that God can forgive us rightly and not in any way just sweep it under the rug unjustly. Tim Keller, I think, explains is one of the he explains this. Uh, as good as anybody, I think. But just understand, this is from his book, The Prodigal God, and so he's framing this whole discussion of forgiveness within the context of the story of the prodigal son that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Remember, there's a father. He has two sons. The younger one goes off into a country and asks the father for his, his inheritance, and, which is basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me your stuff. He takes it, he goes off, and he wastes it all, and then he eventually comes back, But here's what Tim Keller, in referring to that story, says in regards to this idea of forgiveness always coming at a cost to the one who was wronged. He says, The younger brother's restoration was free to him, but it came at an enormous cost to the older brother. The father could not just forgive the younger son, somebody had to pay. The father could not reinstate him except at the expense of the older brother. There was no other way. But Jesus does not put a true, good older brother in the story, one who is willing to pay any cost to seek and save that which is lost. He goes on and he says, We need an older brother who is willing to pay, not just a finite amount of money, but at the infinite cost of his own life, bring us into God's family once again. For our debt is so much greater. We deserve alienation, isolation, and rejection. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price someone has to pay there was no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost himself our true older brother paid our true older brother paid our debt on the cross in our place there jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with dignity and standing that we don't deserve On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family free by grace. There, Jesus drank a cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. And there was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true older brother. Do you understand? Our sin had to be paid for. Jesus did it. And so going to the horizontal relationship, we're also admitting in forgiveness is that when somebody wrongs you, when somebody has sinned against you, part of the price that you're paying is you're letting go. You're letting go of the vengeance that you'd like to somehow get back from them. That's the price that we pay. Now, that's just kind of a few points by way of definition Uh, in terms of what forgiveness is. The second question, why does it matter? Let's look at the Lord's Prayer again in Matthew chapter 6. Okay, He says, when you pray, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Notice how Jesus is very intentional about linking them about linking them together. And the first reason that I want to point out as to why forgiveness is so important or why does it matter is here's what I want you to get. Forgiveness is central to the life of a disciple. Forgiveness is absolutely central to the life of a, of a disciple. Jesus here says that every time we pray, along with praying for the God's name to be glorified, that his name be, be hallowed, that's what that means, that his kingdom come, that his will be done in, in expressing to him our needs, we are to also Bring to mind our need for ongoing forgiveness because though we be justified sinners, we are still sinners. And when it's not that we're getting saved again, we're justified once by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what we're, what we're talking about here is this ongoing need for forgiveness and the need for fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And he links the two together that as we think about our sins in the presence of God in prayer, that we are to also be thinking about those who have sinned against us. And we are to keep very, 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 very short accounts. Very short accounts. Um... Notice here also that out of all the lines in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, um, daily bread, forgiveness is the only one that gets some extra explanation. If you look at the context, he mentions it in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Um, And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We'll come back to that in just a second. But then look at verses 14 and 15. He continues to unpack the idea of forgiveness. And this is often missed in the Lord's Prayer. We don't catch this. It's so important. It's the only line that Jesus expounds upon. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, this is a very troublesome verse on the surface, is it not? It's quite serious. So again forgiveness being central to the life of a disciple, it's very, very, very important that we understand this correctly, okay? Now, what I would like to argue for here just briefly is, and I kind of already mentioned this, is that There's a difference between what many times theologians will call judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness, or familial forgiveness. So, judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness happens at the moment of justification. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're wiped clean. You are positionally placed in Christ, and Christ is in you. However, I think that part of what Jesus is talking about here is parental forgiveness, meaning the ongoing relationship between the Father where we're abiding in Him, we're in right fellowship with Him, and His Spirit is working through us to bear good fruit and to let his name be seen as holy and to see, let his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as has already been prayed earlier in the prayer. The one place that I would point to specifically in the context for this is in verses 14 and 15. As Jesus says this, he still refers to him as your heavenly father. Now the point here is not in any way that our forgiving other people is somehow merits God forgiving us. Again, that goes against the very definition of what forgiveness is, right? Forgiveness is unmerited. You can't earn it back. It, the price has to be paid by another. That's what Jesus came to do. But what Jesus is speaking of here in our life of prayer is that we're to continually be thinking about our need for ongoing forgiveness before the Father, confessing our sins to Him on a regular basis, but at the same time, may perhaps confessing also the sin of unforgiveness that we are holding on to. And here's what I want us to get, folks, is that the if you are harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards another person, I truly say this in love, you are living in sin. You are living in sin. Now, unforgiveness is a very, in, the, in church land, in cultural Christianity, unforgiveness is one of those nice, clean, sanctified, somewhat acceptable sins. Because, well, Eric, you just don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how badly it hurt, and please, I'm not mocking the pain, brother or sister. I'm not. But what I'm pointing you to is the word of God, and as we're going to see ongoingly here, is that Jesus does not mince words with the intentionality and the intensity with which we are to bring before him regularly not only our own sins, but the sins that have been committed against us, and you have no right to hold on to them. You have no right to hold on to them. And if you would just switch up kind of that acceptable sin of unforgiveness that we think is okay in the church sometimes, and let's just replace it. Let's replace it with another big one that that we tend to look at as really bad. Let's replace it with addiction. Let's replace it with pornography for a second. And if somebody's living in an ongoing lifestyle like that, would you say that that person is abiding in Christ and is going to bear fruit for their name? No, absolutely not. My point is, don't think for a second that you can harbor unforgiveness and do any better. You will not bear fruit to the glory of God and allow his name to be hallowed in your life and let his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven in your life if you're hanging on to unforgiveness. You have to bring it to the cross. Let me take it a step further. Another reason why this matters and why forgiveness is essential to the life of a disciple. Unforgiveness opens a door to the demonic. Unforgiveness opens a door to the demonic. Again, I would start here in the Lord's Prayer. Please look at the context. You guys know that this is why we we try our best to try to preach verse by verse through portions of Scripture so that we're not just cherry-picking stuff, but that you see the flow of thought and see what all is included. Again, notice verses 12, how he mentions forgiveness, and then also how he comes back again to it in verses 14 and 15. But sandwiched in the middle is verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to suggest specifically, while I think... um, The evil that's mentioned here could include more than just unforgiveness. I would like to suggest that primarily what Jesus has in mind here is the evil of unforgiveness. And um, there's a lot of nuance in this. It gets a little bit technical, but there's an article in the Greek before the word evil, and so it could probably be translated quite well, um, deliver us from the evil, or by way of implication, possibly the evil one, speaking of Satan. But again, what exactly is Satan trying to do? He's trying to get us to unforgive. Let me give you some more scripture that would kind of back up this idea. This is, this is, uh, let me go to Second Corinthians chapter 2 first. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, I think we might have this on the screen, we might not, but just listen carefully. This is in the context of Paul writing the book of 1 Corinthians, and they were um, putting up with ongoing sin in the church. So he tells them to discipline this person. Now they've disciplined him. The, per- the, the church discipline has worked, and the person is remorseful and repentant, but now they're being too harsh and they're not letting him back in. Okay? And so it's somebody who's sinned. Um, they've called him on it. They've exercised church discipline. Um, but now they're being too harsh and they're not letting him back in. And to that, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. He says, now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not so much to me, but in, in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. For such a one, the punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are, are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you have forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now get verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Do you see what I'm saying? Unforgiveness is a foothold for the demonic. When we hang on to unforgiveness, it is part of the devil's design to get a stronghold in our life. The same flow of thought and idea is there in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are, not me- for we are members of one another. Listen, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do you see it? Why would you be angry at somebody? Because they've sinned against you. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Jump down to verse 31 again just for the sake of time. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, which are things that happen when we have unforgiveness in our heart, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Listen, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Do you see the same connection that he draws with the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us. He just kind of reverses the order. He says, forgive others as God has forgiven you. It is quite possible that there are some here today who are living in ongoing sin and who have given the enemy a foothold in your life to influence you and to do his will and not the will of your father because you are holding on to unforgiveness. And if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, and those aren't two different things, There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. It's just whether or not you're a mature disciple or seeking to become a mature disciple. Then you have no right to hang on to it. My brother or sister, has the enemy gained a foothold in your life? Um, Do you feel dry? Do you feel empty? Do you feel lifeless in your Christian walk? Now please hear me. I'm not saying that if you feel those things that the only diagnosis is unforgiveness but it very well may be. It very well may be. One of the reasons that Jesus highlights our need for forgiveness and our need to forgive others every time we pray um, is because, if I could just put it this way, unforgiveness accrues radical interest that we cannot keep up with. Has anybody ever racked up any credit card debt? It's okay, I'm not going to tell Dave Ramsey, okay, I want your, your secret safe with me. But if you have, okay, if you ever have, um, you know, the, the interest rates are just like crazy on those things. And if you've ever fallen into that trap, uh, maybe speaking from experience, um, you, uh, you can make the minimum payment. And even though you don't spend anything else on the credit card, the next month you're your, your, your total is actually higher than it was the month before, even though you're making payments, because, because the interest is so high. It just keeps racking up. Dear friends, the point is this, is that unforgiveness racks up interest in such a way that it makes credit card rates look like free money. Okay? You, you have got to keep short accounts. This is what Jesus is calling for. For every time you pray, To be aware of your need for forgiveness before the Father and to bring before him the hurt and pain that others have done to you, that you do not hold on to it and find yourself overwhelmed um, by unforgiveness and by a sense of the enemy's, enemy's work in your life. The second reason why it matters is not only is forgiveness central to the life of a disciple, but forgiveness is also central to the message of the gospel to the very message of the gospel. And now look at Matthew chapter 18. Look at Matthew chapter 18. It's quite a story. Um, We could have spent all our time here. Obviously, we're not going to get into everything. But just by way of kind of summary of what's going on, Jesus has been talking all throughout Matthew chapter 18 about being reconciled and church discipline and um, going and confronting your brother who sinned against you. And such, and kind of out of the flow of that conversation, Peter comes up to him here and asks him a question um, out of some of this that he's been he's been teaching them about reconciliation um, in the church. And uh, Peter comes up and he asks this question. He says, um, "Lord, if my brother sins against me, and I forg- how often should I forgive him?" And you, you got to understand here what Peter's saying. He goes, "As many as seven times." And and Peter just thinks, man, he is Peter just thinks he is over the top generous. Um, it, I won't go into all the context on this, but um, there's, a, there's a passage in Amos and also one in Job where it, it, it tends to imply um, that like, you can get forgiveness three times, but then on the fourth time, God's going to judge you. Well, the rabbis took that and ran with it and made it something really hard and fast. And so in Peter's day, the, the very common teaching was that was that we should forgive people three times and then after that be done with them. And so Peter thinks he's just like doubly gracious, even more than any of the Pharisees or, or rabbis of that day would have been. And how, how often should we forgive them? Seven times? And he's just looking for a total high five from Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and then rebukes him shortly and then gives him this story. And it is an intense story. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or another way to translate that would be 70 times 7. But again, he's not looking, going after a literal number here, as we'll see. He's going after just this idea of it's endless. And he tells this story about a man who owed a master 10,000 talents. Now again, very vivid imagery in this, in this story that Jesus tells in answering Peter about, with, in regards to his question. One talent, get this, One talent was 20 years' worth of wages. One talent was 20 years' worth of wages. Jesus says the guy owes 10,000 talents. That's like 200,000 years' worth of wages, if my math is correct. If it's not, tell me later, not now. Um, But that's a lot of money. This is what somebody owes. He's brought before the master, and he cannot pay it. Obviously, it is a debt that he could never pay. And so he is rightly told to be jailed. Again, this is justice coming for him. And he is ordered to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had until payment could be made. And this and this guy, he pleads. And, and again, he doesn't really fully get it. I think he's still kind of living... In deception, because he says, have patience with me, and I will pay everything back to you. No, you won't. There's no way. Not unless you live for 200,000 years. (laughs) There's no possible way. Verse 27, but out of pity, the master of that servant released him, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant the same servant went out and he found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. It's a couple hundred bucks. A couple hundred bucks. And he seized him and he began to choke him. Again, it's a very graphic, vivid story. And he says, pay what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down and did the same thing that he had done to the master. He said, "Please, please have patience with me. I'll repay you. But he refused. And he went and put him in prison. Of course, his fellow servants are greatly distressed by this. They see the disparity between what he had been forgiven and the lack of forgiveness that he showed. And they go and they tell the master, And the master says this, verse 32. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. You wicked servant. And just, I wanted to note this earlier, but I did that, that word wicked there is the same, same exact Greek word that's used for evil back in the Lord's Prayer, where he says, But deliver us from evil. You wicked, evil servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Not because I thought you were going to pay it back. (laughs) Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then verse 34 is quite interesting. Again, it's very vivid. We don't have time to get into all this. But just by way of observation... Verse 34, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers. Now, it's, 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 the word for jailers is a Greek word that only appears here in the New Testament, and it's probably more accurately translated the tormentors. And it's literally, it's a very vivid word picture. It's the idea of putting somebody in a rack, or like the old stocks, like maybe you saw in like medieval times, and torturing them to try to gain information. He hands him over to the jailers, the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. And then verse 35, and again, I know this on one level, maybe on the surface, messes with our theology a little bit. But he says again, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody mouth, wow, yeah, yeah, that's That's it. Wow. Does Jesus have your attention right now? There's a lot that we could say on this. Three things that I want to get for sure. Number one, our debt to God is infinitely beyond our capacity to pay. We've already talked about this. He is the master in the story, we are the servant, that owes literally like the equivalent of like a bazillion dollars is the point. Our debt to God is infinitely beyond our capacity to pay. Number two, our debt to God is infinitely greater than any person's debt to us. Our debt to God is infinitely greater than any person's debt to us. There is a reason why Jesus told us every time we pray that we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. You hold the two together always. Um, there's a, I heard a, uh, I'm not a, again, I've already, I've already confessed to you that I've had some credit card debt in my life already. So it's a safe place, right? Um, I'm also not the greatest financial guru in the world, but I was listening to somebody, some guys, some talking heads on TV the other day talk about the economy and how you know another jobs report is supposed to come out, or maybe it already has, or whatever. And they were going to say that uh, undoubtedly in the jobs report, it's going to talk about how how uh, unemployment is down, right? And but his his point was, he's like, they're going to tout that statistic, but he said it doesn't matter because that's not the number that matters. He goes, it's not about right now in the economy. Um, the, the amount of unemployment, it's about all the employers that have jobs that they can't hire people for because they're not willing to work. right? So again, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, whatever, I'm using this as an illustration. But you understand, is like, you can look at one number and get a skewed view of what's really going on. Dear friends, do you have your eyes on the right number? Not the number of what's owed you, the hundred denarii. But do you have your eyes on the 10,000 talents that you've owed God? See, that's where you got to live, and that's what's going to make all the difference. And it is only if you have your eyes on the right number that you're going to get a correct picture of reality. And if you've got your eye on the other number, then I want to tell you, you're living in a pretend world, thinking that everybody owes you, thinking that everybody's wronged you, thinking that you're a victim. Don't even get me started with the victimhood that we've promoted and valued in this culture. It's horrible. It's because we do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Not only is our debt to God infinitely beyond our capacity to pay and our debt to God infinitely greater than any person's debt, but here's the obvious implication of the story, is that God expects the mercy that we have been shown through the forgiveness of our debt to always be expressed through the forgiveness that we offer to others. Let me say that again and emphasize a word. God expects the mercy that we have been shown through the forgiveness of our debt to always, always, will you say it with me? Always be expressed through the forgiveness that we offer to others. There's another subtle little picture here that I want to pull out that I think is is quite important and that many of the commentators pick up on. And it's it's this little phrase that Jesus used in responding to Peter in verse 22. When Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or like I said, it could mean 70 times seven. And that little phrase, 77 times or 70 times seven, is almost assuredly taken from Genesis chapter four. So very quickly here, a little biblical rundown of history and the Ark of Redemption Genesis chapter 3, everything goes bad, real quick. Sin comes on the scene. Cain murders his brother. Um, and then into chapter 4 here, or I'm sorry, I didn't believe that happened in chapter 4 with Cain murdering Abel, but, but the point is that things go very badly. You now, there's this little story and this little poem by this bad dude named Lamech. And Lamech was like, I believe he was like six generations from Cain depending how you count it, five, six or seven generations. Um, but, uh, but he's six generations from Cain, and he's kind of the epitome of the fallen world at this time. And there's this little poem that he gives that he s- stands up and he quotes to his two wives, which is also bad, in Genesis chapter 4, and he says this, Genesis four twenty three. Lamech said to his wives... Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Listen, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now it's kind of this cryptic little passage, but what Lamech is saying, he's like, you mess with me, I'm going to pay it back 77 times worse. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you 77 times more than you could ever possibly imagine. And the point here is that vengeance, hate, is a mark of the old creation. And what Jesus is calling for here in each and every single one of his disciples is to bring about a mark of the new creation. Not of vengeance, but of forgiveness. Church, this is what he calls us to. And it's real simple this morning. Are you doing it? Am I doing it? Are we doing it? Are we bringing about the new creation? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's part of that will? Forgiveness. Or are we hanging on to the old creation? And quite possibly ourselves look like descendants of Lamech. This is very straightforward and very essential, and hopefully as we've gone through it, you can see why it was important to take a week and to talk about the fact that disciples forgive. Disciples forgive. One more question that I wanted that I said we were going to answer and this won't take too long. But thirdly, how do you do it? How do you do it? We talked about what it is, we talked about why it matters. But how do you do it? And I'm just going to try my best to put as fine a point on this as I possibly can so that each one of us can have as much clarity as we can possibly have so that we can be the disciples that Jesus calls us to be, okay? Number one, I've kind of already said this, how do you do it? Well, you have to start by probably admitting that maybe you haven't been. See, before you forgive somebody else's sin, you need to come to the Father just like he taught us in prayer and you need to confess to him that you've been living in sin by not forgiving other people's sin. There's no way to follow Jesus without ongoing repentance. All of the Christian life, all of the walk of a disciple is one of faith and repentance, faith and repentance, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Always. Secondly, you need to do it in the presence of God in prayer. See, you need a deliverer. Back in the Lord's Prayer, He said, um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word for deliver, it's another very vivid term. It literally means to draw to oneself. It's the idea of drawing out water with like a ladle or something and then kind of like sipping from it. Jesus is your deliverer. I understand that unforgiveness is hard, I understand that it's difficult. It's like the entire Christian life. It's not just hard, it's impossible. You need the help of a Savior. You need the help of the Spirit of God that he gives to you when you trust in him. But even though it's impossible apart from his grace, it is possible in Christ. One of the most often quoted yet probably most misused verses in all the Bible, Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Dear friend, you can do this. You can do it. And let me just get real practical here. And again, we're, we're, we're almost landing the plane. Hang with me. I know I'm still throwing a lot at you. But there's this little paper that we're going to have in the back. Josh and somebody that Josh has gotten to help him I don't know who that is, is going to be standing by the back doors when we end in a little bit. We usually hand this out at all the partnership classes. So you might have one already. Um, but if you don't know where it is or you lost it or you threw it away, it's okay. We got another one for you. Um, and it's just this little, it's called the Conflict resolution field guide. We got it from Watermark Church. Watermark Church um, primarily built it off of a guy named Ken Sandy who wrote a book called Peacemaker, okay? And it's a very good book. It's very central to conflict resolution and reconciliation. Um, It talks about a lot more than just forgiveness, uh, but forgiveness is part of it. And so I want everybody to grab one if you want when you hand out. Now, I say all that because three quick deductions, very practically. And again, this is going to be a, have a very fine point on it. Okay, that deductions from this paper. I want to say this. In forgiving somebody, here's what you're doing. You're making three promises. And you do want to do this before God, and then if, if necessary, you need to go and you need to do this to the person if they know that you're harboring unforgiveness against them. Number one, you're saying, I promise to not use this Against them, and again, you kind of saying, I'm framing this as if you're saying this to God. You're saying, I promise that I will not use this against them for the purpose of manipulating them or shaming them. Number two, you're saying, I promise to not bring it up again to others in order to undermine their reputation. Number three, you're saying, I promise to not bring it up to myself and use it as grounds for self-pity and justifying resentment. I'm going to say the same things again, but just frame it as if you're talking to the person that you're harboring bitterness towards. You go to them and you say, as a disciple of Jesus Christ and on the grounds of what Christ has done for you, You look at them and you say, I promise to not use this against you for the purpose of manipulating and shaming you. You say, I promise to not bring it up to others in order to undermine your reputation. You go to them and you say, I promise to not bring it up to myself and use it as grounds for self-pity and for justifying my resentment against you. Will you do that? Will we act like disciples. And at the end of the day, here's all it is. You just... I had to catch it. But you just drop it, folks. You just drop it. And I keep doing this because here's what I hear a lot. If I can, and I'm almost done, I promise. But I've been waiting like a year to preach this, okay? So <laughs> I hear Christians say all the time, Eric... I just, I just can't, I just can't let go. My dear friend, look at me, yes you can, yes you can, yes you can. If you say that you can't and you're in Christ and Christ is in you and you say that you can't, you're believing a lie. What Christ did is enough. I understand that you might not feel like it. That's not what I'm asking for. If you wait to feel like it, you'll probably never do it. Feelings are wonderful servants, but they're terrible masters. And you can let it go. And worship team, you can come up, and I just wonder if today, as we stand and sing, If you'd be willing to do that, would you just bow your heads with me just quickly? I, I just want to say to you this morning thanks for listening to all this. It's, it's been pretty straightforward. Um, and I know some of us' been hard. And here's what I want to say as a close. I, I promise you, I promise you that the pain that many of you have endured at the hands of someone else. Please, I'm not minimizing it in any way. My my heart, um, my heart breaks truly for the hurt and the pain that so many have experienced. But at the end of the day, brother or sister, either Jesus is enough or he's not. And here's the thing. We we know what the answer is, right? He is enough. He's enough. And so as we stand and sing, would you just lean into him? Would you just lean into him? Father, I pray that as we come now and we just respond to your word just with turning our eyes once again towards heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit that I believe is is with us today and is in us all the time and never leaves us or forsake us, I pray that you would come near. I pray that you would be that deliverer that we so desperately need. And I pray that you'd help us just to let it go. Not in our own strength, but in the name of Jesus. And as we look to the cross, and as we look to all that you've done and all that you've forgiven us, I pray in Jesus' name that we just let it go. Thank you for being good. Thank you for your word this morning. It's in Christ's name that I pray, amen. You guys stand with me.